Welcome to the Mad Pastors Podcast, the honest podcast for honest pastors, powered by G6 Allies, because everybody needs an ally. Uh, welcome back to the Mad Pastors, everybody. Yes. Good to see you. We didn't even, we Good just decided to put everybody on screen at the very beginning because uh, these you guys, know you love them. They're better looking than us. Um, <laughs> but we, uh, we are back. Well, two thirds of them, maybe. Mm-hmm. I'll and- let you decide which third. <laughs> <laughs> Andy Stanley uh, said that if uh, that he tries to be the, the dumbest person in a room and that that's a good room to be in. And so I always feel like I'm in a good room. Uh, so to, especially today, we got some great guys, years and years of experience, uh, and I'm okay to do that. And so we, we are talking about expectations and managing those things. I loved what we talked about last, uh, last podcast. We, we talked all about, um, the idea of how, uh, we mismanage expectations on pastors. So if you didn't get a chance to watch that, you can still watch this one, but go yeah. back and double check go, it, go back and watch that one. And in that one, we give you a, a more full, uh, introduction to mm-hmm. our, panelists to our guests around around the round table yeah uh but if you missed that one if this is your first one let me give you a real quick intro to who we have on the episode with us today we have john oliver who is a student pastor in lagrange georgia mm-hmm. we have stephen bell who uh is starting a new has student pastor background but is starting a family ministry parachurch mm-hmm. ministry uh, in Kentucky. Yeah. And then we have Jesse Campbell, who is just starting a church plant in the Seattle, Washington area. So, mm-hmm. and then we're right in the middle of the map in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah. So all over great uh, conversation from all across the country happening here today about expectations. Well, I think, yeah. And we ended, so something that occurred to me and we, and we're going to try the, the good news is we don't have a full intro uh, this time and, and that's purposeful. So we can have a little bit more discussion and keep going, but Jesse shared with us uh, at the end of the last episode uh, a really, uh, I think it was a difficult story. It was a really helpful and honest one about what he had walked through. And we were talking about the idea that pastors shouldn't be afraid of counseling. And I think what we've got to be, so, you know, if you look at it, it, you can almost, I think we we interpret facts the way that we want to see them. And so I think that sometimes we watch all these pastors that admit all their problems and their issues, and then they tank and they go somewhere. And I, and, but the problem with that, I think is that there is a very real vicious cycle in church. We pastors are held to this standard and rightly so there's an arrogance. We all talked about, there's this Superman chest arrogance that we can do everything and we can get it done. It feeds our ego. And so we try and live up to the fact that we should be on a pedestal and then everybody starts believing that. So we preach that way. Other people don't experience freedom. And then what happens when you need help and you need it? Well, you don't get to walk through it because nobody else is walking through it. You get stuck in it and people keep you there. And I think uh, one of my favorite quotes of all time is John Newton, who wrote uh, Amazing Grace. So as Stephen said last episode, it's like a, a, you know, a, a window into the soul. He was a slave trader on slave ships uh, and just crazy. I think he had lost 10,000 people in his tenure as a slave trader and those, those things haunted him. But he said, what I think is an excellent quote for us as we kick this off is I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world, but I still, I am not what I used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I think that as we talk about as pastors, how we shepherd and lead people and what we expect of them, that that's a tone and a heart and an attitude that we need to have towards that is I think that the problem is I expect a lot of perfection 
out of the people I lead because I'm that hard on myself. And, uh, and we've got to kind of shift some of that. So guys, let's talk missing expectations for the people that we lead and how we lead them. It seems like you're at one or two extremes. You either expect too much or you just want people to show up, put their butt in the seat, you know, uh, give something <laughs> and then move on. So, um, what, 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 what are some of the, the expectations y'all think about at first that you have for your people, some missing expectations for your people? Yeah. <laughs> I could have just been unclear. So, yeah, maybe that's it. So, so let, me, let me try. Let me try. I was hoping that John would have a story again. Well, that's what I was kind of banking on John too. So yeah. John's, John set the premise. You, you said it there, man. So. I did. I, I jumped in too many times on the, on the first one. Come on, John, you so, got something. <laughs> right, so where, where do we, where do we, not place an expect where are we giving yeah, our church good, people a free pass as as the as the spiritual leader as yeah. the shepherd who is who is guiding our people and our our goal is to help them mature and grow in their discipleship where are we giving people a free path in that regard? Uh, I'll, I'll say this this is kind of piggybacking on on something that i said when i was on your all uh, when we were doing the red flags was and this is what I'm seeing a lot in regards to coming out of student ministry into, into more family-oriented ministry is I think we, as a church, and a lot of times as pastors, we have we have created this mindset, unintentionally, mind you, that says to, let's say, parents, for example, you know, church, this, this church, we, we are here to make your kid more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, we are here to disciple your kid. Discipleship certainly does happen within the church, but that was not the primary resource of discipleship that God established. He decided he established the family far more before he established the church. And, and so we need, we need to make sure, I, I think we have this missing expectation that uh, parents are really discipling their kids, which instead they're saying, well, I'll just bring my kid to church and that'll suffice. Mm, that's great. So, um, I think about, um, the reality of student ministry mm. as a, as a ministerial need in the community. And I think about uh, a, a discussion we had in seminary about how um, <laughs> one of our professors said uh, youth pastors aren't in the Bible. Oh. And uh, I contested, well, I, I don't know, man. Um, Neither you know, is the Trinity. Were, yeah. you, were, you, were you at New Orleans? <laughs> Actually my MDiv was New Orleans. Yeah. yeah. Was it a short little, was it a short little Asian guy? Tsugami. Yeah. <laughs> what? Something about Asian pastors. They don't like student ministry. I don't oh, get it. Oh, man. That I'm was just him. kidding. That's terrible. Okay. That was him. I'm producing a new guest, short Asian guy from Tsugami. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that the same guy said the same thing to me. I was like, well, that's what I do for a living. So thanks. Yeah. Yeah, man. I remember there was a guy, Gray Strickland. If you're out there, Gray, you're awesome. Um, chimed in like, yeah, well, their parents don't do it. Like their parents, their parents aren't teaching them, you know, so we will. And I, I remember saying like, well, if, if you're, if, if you're laboring at preaching and teaching, you know, there's nothing in the Bible about age graded ministries per se, fair enough. But the fact is you're doing the work of a pastor. Like you are, in fact, you are in fact equipping saints for works of ministry and you are in fact laboring at preaching and teaching. You're doing the work of an evangelist. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would, that would biblically, that would biblically qualify the, um, the downside is that 
I remember I, as a youth, when I was a youth pastor, uh, the, the handoff was always really difficult because what happens when you're the, the student is the first Christian in his or her home, mm-hmm. then mom and dad obviously aren't discipling, or if they are inadvertently discipling, they're not discipling their, their child well yet because they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. They don't know scripture yet. And uh, one, uh, there's actually, there's going to be a resource that's coming up soon for my, my, uh, actually it's available. It's free. It's on, it's on my website. I'll let you guys look at the link later, but it's called at the table. Um, I devised it in response to that because it's the most awkward thing in the world for new Christians to like disciple their kids. Cause they feel like total hypocrites. <laughs> like my kid has been watching me, you know, sin like crazy. And now you expect me pastor to open up my Bible at my table with my family. Uh, and so like this book, this, this book, it's a super short book. I mean, like crazy, crazy short. Uh, there's just a primer on like how to, what's step one, <laughs> like to, to even begin that, that journey. And uh, the, the basic motto that, that I gave these new Christian dads and single moms too, I would, I would coach single moms. And this was like, yeah, because you don't have, cause you're, 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 you don't have a husband right now. This is on you, you know, uh, to, to lead your, lead your kids in Bible study at home to disciple them. But here's step one, you know, it plow through the awkwardness. Like, yeah, it's going to be awkward at first. And um, we started doing this at, at a church where I encouraged dads, like we gave everybody Bibles and I encouraged the dads to start leading their families in Bible study. And I didn't manage that expectation well of my people when I started off in ministry. I think I expected too much uh, of, of dads. I think I, I also had to, I had to learn, God was teaching me a lot about this to get me ready for, for Lifeway, Ian, because I didn't know the difference between preaching a sermon and writing curriculum. <laughs> like my, my first outlines that I wrote for Lifeway really were just sermons <laughs> that the leader could preach. I didn't know anything about like discussion. So I, I was, I learned better how to coach and prep our, our dads to do this well. And what they responded well to was saying, the first time you do this is going to, it's going to bomb. <laughs> like you're going to, you're going to have your family at the table and you're going to open up the word. And then like your teenager is going to roll her eyes and then just like walk away. And you know, your kids are, it's going to, then the second time you do it, it's going to be even worse. And then like the third time, Oh man, it's going to lead to almost a knockdown drag out, but don't worry by the 13th time you do this, you know, who's going to still be at the table is your bride because she'll think that this is the hottest thing she's ever seen. And then somewhere around the 22nd time that you open up your Bible for your family at your table, that will become the real you. And when your kids think, who is my dad? He's not the guy who curses at the, at his football team on the TV. Like that's, that's his sin nature creeping back up. He's the, he's the one who opens up the Bible for our family and, mm-hmm. and walks us through it. That's really who my, who my dad is. Um, and I, did, I think I underestimated how awkward that was for dads. You know, as, as guys with preaching degrees, it's easy for us to do that at home and lead our families in Bible study, you know, uh, but for, for, I don't think I had, I don't think I had an expectation of just how difficult that would be for a dude who, uh, like here in, in Seattle, we've got a lot of Boeing engineers, like a guy who builds airplanes, you know, to then go lead his family in Bible study. That's a quantum leap. You know, it's a totally different context. And, and so what, what served us well was encouraging dads and single moms for the meantime to plow through the awkwardness and then just stick with it because eventually you'll set a new trajectory for your family's spiritual future. And uh, also bonus side effect, my bride started getting all these text messages in the weeks that followed that from wives in the church 
who took photos of their husbands leading their kids in Bible study and talking about how, talking about how, how hot it was. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, uh, well, okay. So you hit a point though. And this is, this is something I think the church in general does miss an expectation on their people with. And so you said it right. Um, a Boeing, an aircraft engineer, right. They're going to have a hard time or, or a contractor is going to have a difficult time with this. And I, you know, we actually talked about this last week at, at our church, but we we're talking about the vine and the branches and the idea that you you have to be connected to that vine in order to grow. And that's a super over-spiritualized uh, reality or, or passage rather than being nitty gritty and really applicable. But uh, we talked about this idea that, that I think the problem in, in America, especially with what you're talking about, is we define ourselves by our job and our career. And so everything that we do I'm a, I'm an aircraft mechanic who is a Christian. I mean, I'm a, this guy, I'm a pastor who's a Christian. And I think one of the expectations we need to start having and preaching on people more often is no, no, no. You are a believer who happens to be an aircraft mechanic. You're mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a Christian who is a pastor. And because the more, especially we see this a lot, don't we, that I'm a, I'm a dad who is a Christian. And then we begin to filter everything that we do through that lens. So why do you only see some of your people six months out of the year? Well, because they're a baseball dad who is a Christian. And so eventually that first one is always going to show the value and the interpretation of the next one. And I, I, I want to see, I mean, I don't know, we, we also, we do have your preaching degrees. I really wish I had like a physical ed degree or something. I could be like, I don't have one of those, but, uh, but all that to say, you know, as believers, I mean, I love the fact that if the spirit is in you and the spirit is working in you, then and you're equipped. And that's hundred percent. We need to be expecting our people and helping to teach them that, Hey, what's going to happen. You know, we're, are you going to be a, not going to be a Christian anymore? If you lose your job and you go somewhere else, are you going to do the unethical to keep it? Are your kids going to be slaves to whatever you want for them? Because Jesus doesn't inform those decisions. And I don't know, that's an expectation I've seen. I've seen the church constantly retreat on that very often. I mean, I, to the point that the last church I served at a pastor said, well, you know, the climate today, it's just people come to church once a month. That's just normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I went, I don't think that's normal. <laughs> I mean, if no. you came to, if you preached once a month, I think people would be tired <laughs> of it, you know? Dude, that's a low expectation of your people right there. I yeah. That's a low expectation. We, I saw that, I saw that uh, here once an elder of a nearby church came and we just, we, we were at, we were rocking like six services and we had, we had video overflow. And the dude came because his daughter was a part of our church and he just, he was redirected to video overflow. And afterwards waited and spoke with me and said like, our church is mostly empty. And we just, we just rationalized it thinking that just Christianity is just dead in the Pacific Northwest. And we didn't know that this happened. We, we didn't know that there was such thing as video overflow for a church in Seattle. And for years that had just been their expectation. And, and there was no follow-up process for somebody who hasn't been there in, in three weeks. There was no small group structure that, that had that, had that expectation. Yeah. Like, we'll if we, if we lower the bar for our people, they'll rise to it. Yeah. I yeah. Think, oh, go ahead. And the maximum, I think the maximum we can expect for the majority of our, of our people is the minimum that we allow. Ooh. And because most people will only go to the lowest standard. Mm-hmm. And so it's in student ministry. That's when I started, I started believing that way in student ministry, like majority of my students are only going to rise to my lowest expectation. Yeah. 
So why don't I raise the lowest expectation? And so that was when I challenged myself to get away from preaching these moralistic therapeutic deism and actually got serious about the Bible and said, you know what, these students are in algebra, they are in physics, they are in all of the, all of these things that they're now taking. And if they can absorb and the school system says that they can attain this, then who are we as the church to say that those same students can't understand doctrine and that they can't understand all of these theological terms and things that go on in, in scripture. Like let's challenge them and let's give them more because they'll, they'll do it. And all we got to do is just, you know, we, we can't be responsible. We can't be responsible for making people drink, but scripture does talk about, we got to lead people to water. Right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think the, the low expectations that we have is uh, I hear parents I had leaders at my last church in middle Tennessee when I got in there and I started preaching, I said, Hey, we're just going to start in Genesis and we're going to go. Um, because I, I want these kids, the Bible will contextualize itself as we go. So let's just start there and, and let's, let's get it. And I had leaders come up to me and say, Hey, what, what are you doing? What are you, what are you doing? These are, these are middle school students. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, which means if they can get it in middle school, they're going to be, fantastic leaders when they get to your spot and they would just fought me and fought me and fought me and fought me on that but eventually you see the fruit of when the truth is unleashed it will do what is what it promises it'll do and that that's been that's been one of my biggest problems or concerns with most of the current church growth strategies Mm -hmm. that are out there the entire idea is premised on make things as easy and as low commitment as possible in order to get people to your church, right? Yeah. Like we want to set the bar so low, that make baby steps. We want baby steps. We, we're not asking them to, to dive in deep. We're asking for them baby, like inviting them to church is too big of a step. So let's break it down even smaller than that. And let's, let's get the bare minimum mm-hmm. that we possibly can get. And that's how we're going to grow the church. Uh, that may, that may, create a crowd, right? Yeah. Like, and that works in some, in some business models, you know, but you're not selling somebody a t-shirt, right? You, you, mm-hmm. you are inviting them to, to commit their entire lives to following Jesus Christ. It is something very different than, than a business model of low expectations, high reward. That's not what the church is. And so and that's where that- I struggle with the church growth stuff like what you're saying, yeah. John, you, the most you're going to get out of it is the minimum of what you expect. Cause that's what people are going to do. They're, yeah. mm-hmm. they're only going to do what's minimally required. And maybe, I mean, that, I think that feeds into so much what we're talking about is that people, that part of that expectation we need to raise is that you can, you I struggle with this. I mean, I'll do, but that you should be growing no matter where you're at, no matter who's there. If God, I mean, that's, I do remember my dad told me this at, at 12 years old. And then as I was leading small groups, as a, even as a, a kid in high school, I tell this to sixth graders, but you know, you'd always go, well, pastor speaking on money. I don't even want to be in service, you know, or whatever. And I remember my dad used to say this and it was true. If God's word is open, it's on you to learn and God will be, God can work through that as long as it's being preached. And uh, I hate to say that you could even learn from a Joel Osteen message. if <laughs> The spirit was working. But it's this idea that we expect, you know, we teach this expectation that there's not a crowd, if it's not flashy, if it's not, you can just slip in and slip out. 
that that that's the best option and it's not our people should expect to to grow and to meet with god and to do that no matter who's in the room and no matter what's going on mm -hmm. and and i want you guys to weigh in on on yeah. this too because i think what you're what you're getting at it it ties in the previous episode to this one that um the expectation is of spiritual growth lies on the pastor that it's the pastor's job for, to make me grow yeah oh yeah mm -hmm. And Absolutely. we, and we take on that. Okay. Yeah. That is my job. That's yeah. what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to make you grow. And, and so that removes yeah. the expectation or it shifts the expectation off of our people and onto us. So it's unrealistic on pastors and it's missing on church people. So help me out with this guys. It is, is spiritual growth an absent expectation in your experience of your people or has it shifted so I, I will jump in on this one. So um, <clears throat> I think when you have you have people that will leave churches, you've you've heard these comments like, "Man, I just I just really don't feel fed here. I don't I don't feel like I'm being fed here." And my response has become to those people, "Well, when you treat church like a buffet on Sunday mornings to sustain you for the week, and you're not doing any self feeding, like there's a problem. You don't go to." golden corral after church and then what the hope hopefully you don't go to golden corral but hopefully like if you go if you go there you want covid yeah it's they're all, yeah. They're all everybody's, everybody's touching your tongs man they hadn't sanitized that junk anyway but you're not eating if you're not eating during the week you're gonna starve yeah right you know and so the the whole goal i think the whole problem is we've created this consumer mentality in the church where I mean, Sunday morning is not about coming and getting filled up. Sunday morning should be about coming and leaving empty. Like you should come and just absolutely be spending your time just adoring and celebrating what the Lord has done, who the Lord is, and be encouraged to go out that week, right? But the Lord should be working in us, you know, Sunday at 12.01 all the way till the next Sunday because we're constantly pursuing him, but we're not, if we're not expecting our people to do that. I mean, even if you're at golden corral, Michael, you're not, you're not the only person cooking all that food. Yeah. Mm, right. You what know, flip it on its head, John. So <laughs> all I'm saying, I think going on with what John was saying too, is that we, there's this mentality that says, um, you know, for, for our people, we, we've, we've kind of, brought evangelism personal evangelism down to the point and this is about low you know lowering that bar making it as easy as possible personal evangelism has become okay just invite them to church and i'll share the gospel with them yeah. in, instead of actually expecting our people to be actively sharing the gospel um and, and i mean if, if if that were the mentality of the majority of our church members um i think we would see see a huge difference in 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 just everything all around and even teaching our people to that point, Steve, I think it's excellent, but to, to teach people what sharing the gospel really is. I mean, we, we didn't, we, I mean, all through the nineties and the two thousands, we turned gospel, the sharing the gospel into an informational message, like a really bad, oh, yeah. that nobody wants to watch. And it's like, mm -hmm. let me show you faith F A I T A, you know, and I, yeah. I had this, uh, I was homeschooled so I can make fun of homeschoolers all day long and they can get mad, but deal with it. You're triggered. Um, <laughs> But I, I met this homeschool kid at a at the last church I was at, and I sat down with them, and they were very concerned to want to know all of the you know all the things I was going to teach. And so I walked them through what we were doing and our philosophy of ministry, and 
and all of that. And she said, well, what do you say when somebody tells you if you, that, that they want to know about the Bible, why you're a Christian? I said, well, I walk them through my testimony. I talk through what God's done in my life first, because the power of my testimony is a big deal because of what God's done. And then I walk them through the gospel and she went, that's not what we do. Go ahead, Deborah. And her daughter, her daughter's like 17. She goes, I believe in the gospel because it is the collection of works that have been assembled over 4,000 years with 66 authors. And she went through like a paragraph and I went, well, you're never leading anybody to Jesus. I'm just throwing it out <laughs> right now. But we have, but we have, we set that expectation on people making everything so easy that the gospel is a really crappy infomercial and it's not day-to-day life. John she's, like the, she's like, the, it was, sounds like the spoiled girl to your Willy Wonka who wants to run the chocolate factory. <laughs> Go ahead, Deborah. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying. The schnozberries, <laughs> like schnozberries, but they, uh, but no, it's true. And she, but you want to know who I never saw in a small group? Her. Them? Yeah. Never saw them again because, because we, I mean, we, we talk about community and gospel and decide like they're all different things, but they are all different sides of the same die. Right. And, and I think that was so important is, and just to that point, this expectation that the gospel, John and I did an episode of the T at one point where we talked about one of the best ways to raise kids who don't care about Jesus and don't love the church is to leave Jesus at church. Mm. And that's our expectation is that you leave Jesus at church and Mm -hmm. once you leave for the week, uh, if something good happens, great. If not, whatever. I took my antibiotics and and we moved. So Spurgeon Spurgeon was onto something, obviously, you know, uh, he kind of reintroduced one of the lost ethics of the reformation, like the et vocatio ethic, wherein the, zenith of the discipleship process is not to make pastors of every member of the church, you know, rather it's not, it's not like the ministerial calling is that extra credit step for the super Christians. No, that's, that's the calling on just a few people, right? The, the, the pastorate is something that God calls some of your men to, and very few of them like rather everyone is a minister. Every member is a minister. And what Spurgeon did in, in the, you know, the London Tabernacle was equip his people to go out to their ministries, which took place at their vocations, hence the, the et vocatio aspect of it. And that was, um, that was profound to me that that stuck with me. I know, I know that every pastor out there who, who shares the gospel, every sermon is going to feel self-conscious about your altar call. Now we don't want you to feel self-conscious about it. You by all means do it. I do. I share the gospel every week. Yep. 90% of my content is discipleship oriented because that's most of what the scripture is. We're just going book by book through the Bible. And as you go through the new Testament, you know, the gospels are obviously the story of Jesus, but when you go through every epistle, it's largely discipleship oriented. And so, but there's always a bridge to Jesus. The way that, uh, the, the way that I tried to simultaneously share the gospel and equip my people for evangelism simultaneously was I, I went, I spent two years once. Um, I think this drove some people nuts. In fact, I know it did cause they told me it did, but I did it anyway. <laughs> was I, I used like the same scriptures to share the gospel at the end of each sermon for two years. And what I was doing was sharing the gospel for the very first time with the militant skeptic or the local Seattle member of the LGBTQQIAAP plus community. Yes, that's the real abbreviation. It's going to keep growing. Like a streaming service when you put a plus on. Keep going. Dude, it, yeah, the, I like that the plus is there because it, they're just like, we're going to we're gonna add more. We just know. Keep getting more sinful. Let's put a plus there. But the uh, I would share it with Romans 3.23 and 6.23, um, John 14.6, 1 
Romans 10, nine, you know, I would, I would pray these scriptures. That was our, we didn't pray like the classic sinner's prayer. We would just pray these passages. And as a result, it's sort of like, I, I told my people, like, you've all been programmed. <laughs> uh, you, you now know exactly what to say when the Jehovah's witness knocks at your door, like, you know, exactly what to say. And then sure enough, it started to click with people and come back because the Christian was like, okay, great. He's in the exact same scriptures that he said every weekend for two years in a row. And I, I kind of revealed why I did that. I was like, surprise, you've been, you've been trained. Like you're, you're going to know exactly what to say when it comes time to share the gospel with someone. So those, those guys who, uh, who said that I, I drove them, drove them crazy doing, it, I had to begrudgingly admit, yeah, I did share Romans six twenty three with the Mormon who came to my door the other day. <laughs> well, and we, we do kind of forget the idea and our people do, and we don't hammer in the fact that I think every aspect of the Christian life is a Galatians six moment. And we shouldn't tire in doing what we know is right. We live in such an instant gratification culture. It's like, well, if I mention it for two weeks, that's two whole weeks. <laughs> but maybe they need two whole years. Mike, Mike, where do we want to move? We're getting close to the so, end. So. Yeah, I, I think this has been very, very helpful. Yeah. So um, we talked about some of the expectations on our people mm-hmm. that you know, – Low, raise the bar a little bit. Don't yeah. don't make the bar so low that nothing is expected of yes. our people. Uh, yeah. That we do expect them to be sharing the gospel. That it's not all on the pastor mm-hmm. to a produce their own spiritual growth yeah. and and b to introduce others to the gospel. Uh, <clears throat> so yeah. it's part of the job of the pastor to train and equip the saints for the work of the ministry, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but the expectation we got to figure out some kind of balance in our churches here that it's not all on the pastor to do it but there's there has to be some level of expectation on individual believers and i think as well we need to encourage pastors not to to buy into i mean essentially you're stepping into a vicious like we said at the beginning it's a vicious cycle in the system and you've got i think you put put up with a lot of flack for it and that makes it difficult right it's hard to stop that but you know, I remember I knew a pastor and he invested in me and all that. And I don't, I mean, I don't care if you're Calvinist, not Calvinist, whatever you are. I mean, it's great. But he had, I asked him one time, why did you, why did you become a Calvinist? Cause he was real big on talking about it. And he said, you know, I just, I would not be able to sleep at night after I preached a sermon. And because I was afraid I said the wrong thing or did the wrong thing. So I decided to become a Calvinist because God's in control of all of it. And I went, that's an odd reason to shift your entire yes ministry belief. But I think that there are so many pastors that have, uh, that we do have sleepless nights because these expectations, we've, we've internalized the expectation that what I say is really going to do that. And I think we need to rest not in appropriating our doctrine to our belief and our anxiety, but by understanding that if I am faithful to preach and faithful to teach God's word and prepare, then God's going to be faithful at the end of the day. And the other side of it is, not asking for or not expecting immediate results. Um, the hard fought stuff seems real small. The truth is this, that, I mean, so many people at Billy Graham crusades that you'd watch them all walk down, you know, immediately. Most of those were counselors one. Uh, so they were already believers getting ready, but two, you know, we, we all know, especially those of us who've been in the trenches of student ministry. Uh, I had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids for a lot of time, for a long time. And, and I would do events and I'd let people do events or we'd go to do events. And the more, more kids I saw walking aisles, the less I saw life change. And it is not an instantaneous thing. It is a long and hard fat being a pastor is a dirty and difficult and grungy calling. 
and it just takes time. So, man, thank you guys for yeah, thank, talking about thanks that. for thanks for joining us for this one. Uh, we got one more one one more part to this. The next episode, uh, we're gonna kind of tie all of it together. We're just gonna mm-hmm. talk about expectations and our vision of the church and, and what what the church is about and all Absolutely. of that. So, uh, love you guys. Be sure and click on the subscribe button, the like button, and in the in the comments on uh, on the YouTube page, there will be links to information about each of these guys that have joined us. So you can check out their ministries as well. Would love for you to do you that. Find and them, them all on the interwebs. All on the interwebs. All right, love y'all. Bye. Talk soon. See you. Thank you for listening to the Mad Pastors podcast today. We hope that you found it not only encouraging, but beneficial that you have people in your corner doing ministry. Here's what we'd love for you to do. If you'd subscribe, review, and share our podcast, that would mean the world to us and it'd help as many pastors to hear and be encouraged just like you were. G6 is also supported by partners and allies like you who are willing to financially give and be a part of this ministry with us. So if you feel like you'd like to be a part of this with us, just go to g6allies.com slash partner, and we'd love for you to become our ally in our mission to serve pastors and their families. If you have questions, comments, or just want to talk more with us about your particular ministry needs, just email us at hello at g6allies.com. We can't wait to see you next time for our next episode. 